This morning, we are continuing our way through our Lenten season and our desire to identify with the person of Jesus as we make our way toward the, the weekend of Easter, Good Friday, the empty tomb, the resurrection. We, we want to be considering whose life we are, we're sharing in as, as we enter into the passion of Easter week. And so we're identifying with Jesus, and we need to know who Jesus is, who he says he is, in order for us to do that. This morning in John 10, we, we see that Jesus offers to be our guide. I've always been uh, sort of fascinated by stories about uh, expeditions, polar expeditions, high-altitude mountain expeditions. And I, I have a special uh, interest in, in books about Everest. I love to read about people who are adventurous and, and probably crazy enough to attempt one of those, those climbs. And I've always kind of wondered in the back of my head, you know, I wonder if I could pull that off. Could you get up Everest? Would, would, what would it take in particular to make that kind of thing happen? And it's, it's around this time, April or May of every year, that people show up in Nepal or Western China to begin preparing. And every year, I think about five to 600 climbers are given permits to attempt uh, a run up the summit. But the biggest question I think facing anyone who wants to do that sort of thing, uh, certainly you have a lot of preparation beforehand, but once you get there, the, the most important decision you have to make is who is going to be your guide. Right? Who do you trust to lead you 29,000 feet into the sky? Several years ago, uh, some of you may have picked up a book called Into Thin Air. Uh, it was written by John Krakauer. He's a famous uh, outdoor journalist. And uh, Krakauer wrote the book based on his own uh, Everest expedition in 1996. He was sent up the mountain as a columnist uh, and a climber. But when he was uh, nearing the summit, a storm blew in, and several expedition parties were there together. Uh, eight climbers actually lost their life in that snowstorm. Uh, and in the, the aftermath of those events, Krakauer's life was spared. But he wrote a book, a series of other books were written, and there was a lot of controversy about the decisions each of their guides made in the midst of that storm. Some of them saved lives, other decisions cost lives. Choosing the, the right guide can be a matter of life and death, especially at high altitude. Today, you can actually go onto websites, and there are sort of review, uh, reviews offered and, and star ratings for people that will take you to the top of Everest. I've got a screenshot here. You can pay $60,000. You can pay $150,000. Uh, you can choose who you want to take you up. And the, the websites function a little bit like Yelp or, or other uh, review sites, only the stakes are a little higher than ordering some bad pizza, right? <laughs> if you're going to go up Everest, right, who, who do you trust? How do you evaluate the, the qualifications, the credentials of someone you want to entrust your life with? That same question, right, who will guide us? Who do we trust to lead us with our lives? 
is one we're asking on this journey through Lent, this journey to identify more deeply with Jesus. And Jesus claims to have these credentials to lead us. We considered a few weeks ago how Jesus invited us to know that he possesses the bread of life to feed us on that journey. He possesses the light of life to show us both the way we're going, but also who we are and who he is in that journey. And today in John 10, he wants to zero in on his his ability to be like one of these guides. Someone who can be out in front leading us, steering us away from danger. Steering us away from, from false voices, from false identities. And to lead us instead into the abundance of life itself. And I think the question Jesus would ask is, are we ready? Are we willing to be led by him? So let's turn together to John 10. Let me pray for us as we look into the word of God today. Lord, we are sheep. We are your flock, your people needing to be led. We don't possess the the compass the wisdom, the experience to know where we need to go for life. So we come to you, we come to your living word, and we ask for you to meet us in this place today. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth as I preach, the meditations of all our hearts would be found pleasing, trusting, looking to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come into John 10, we're actually picking up on a much longer conversation that began back in John 9. uh, That's been going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And you'll remember last week in John 9, Jesus finds the, the man born blind on the streets of Jerusalem. And he brings healing to this man in a miraculous way. And through that miracle, Jesus proves not only that he is the light of the world, but in the same same sort of interaction, he exposes the blindness of the Pharisees. He brings sight to some, to others, he reveals their blindness, he says at the end of chapter 9. And so the Pharisees, instead of rejoicing in the healing power of God, instead of asking Jesus to help them see more clearly... They go on the defensive, right? They begin to protect themselves. They begin to attack Jesus. And in doing so, they miss the chance to let God lead them in that moment. As chapter 10 begins here then, Jesus calls on his audience to be careful in the way we evaluate our guides. The way we discern between those who are fit to lead us and those who are not worth trusting. And he does that through the form of a kind of extended parable about a shepherd and the sheep. John 10, let me read verses 1 through 6 to begin. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, 
but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what Jesus was telling them. Ancient Israel didn't have Sherpas to guide them up high mountains, but they did have an abundance of shepherds in their culture. And long before Jesus even arrives on the scene here, right, Israel has a lengthy history with the, the culture of shepherding. In fact, the Old Testament contains over a hundred references to shepherds. Some of them are, are biographical accounts, like Jacob in Genesis, and, and the work he does as a shepherd, or, or David as a young boy. Other times, the scriptures refer to shepherds more, more poetically or more symbolically. And the shepherd came to represent uh, those who would lead the people of Israel, whether that be politically or, or spiritually or both. And of course, as the metaphor would have it, if, if the leader was the shepherd, then that made the people of God the sheep, right, the flock that belonged to him. But the Old Testament makes clear that not every shepherd was worth trusting. Not every shepherd lived up to that vocation. And the prophets are especially keen to warn us of false shepherds. And Jeremiah speaks of shepherds without sense. Shepherds who scattered their flocks more than they gathered them together. Isaiah, on a number of occasions, condemns shepherds who sought their own gain rather than caring for the life of their sheep. So we have scriptural precedent to, to be cautious, right, to evaluate any shepherd that would come before God's people, right, to, to sort out, are they the real deal or are they spiritual imposters that would seek uh, to lead us astray? And I suppose in our present context, we're, we're also wrestling with this choice. Right? We, in the American church, have been struggling with, with what voices lead us. Right? Who will, will show us the way forward? Right? Who do we trust in our spiritual communities? And a key criteria Jesus gives to us in verses 3 and 4 and 5, how we sort out who we trust and who we don't, has to do with the voice of those shepherds says that you can tell who the real shepherds are by the way they speak to their sheep. You can tell it by the tenor of their voice. And Jesus says that sheep follow those who are good shepherds because they have learned to recognize the sound of their voice. They know 
the, the history of care and relationship that's part of, of that exchange. So the question we need to be asking is, what voices, whose voice is guiding us? Who are we looking to to lead us into life? A couple years ago when we came across this passage, I asked the, the only shepherd I know well, many of you know her as well, Chris Sims, I said, is this really true, Chris? Do sheep really respond to the voice of the shepherd? And she said, yeah, they, they know your voice. They'll come running to you. Not only do they know your voice, they know what kind of car you drive. She said, if you pull up in the wrong vehicle, you know, they'll, they'll sort of look at you. But if they, they see your van coming, they, they'll come running to you as well. And she said, in the same way that's illustrated in this passage, not only do they know the voice of the shepherd, but they are suspicious of other persons, other voices. She said sometimes she has to weigh whether or not to bring along extra help to work with the sheep. Because she knows that you know, the muscle power will be helpful in whatever task needs to be done. But, but the presence of a stranger will often make the sheep more skittish. Right? They become anxious. Sort of creates this, this low-level panic within the flock. I wonder if the same is true of us. Right, as we seek to be led closer in our relationship with God. There's not just one voice offering to guide us. There are, are many voices that would lead us, both in the church, also outside the church. Some of them may even seem like or, or, or sound like the voice of someone who cares for us, someone who knows something, someone who possesses wisdom at first. But as we, we move closer to them, right, it's then that we need to evaluate. Is this a true voice or a false one? Does it lead us in, into life and into growth and into maturity and into Christ-likeness? Or does it produce in us anxiety, right? Does it produce in us panic? Does it, does it scatter us farther from where we need to be? There are voices in our lives, Jesus says, that lead us to life. There are also voices we would be wise to run from as we hear them approaching. Jesus warns us there are certainly voices that will not lead us into life. This is difficult within the church because sometimes we seek to follow a voice that proves to be a fallen shepherd proves to be a shepherd who has a different agenda, right? who has an ulterior motive for gaining our trust. And, and that can leave us with disappointment, can leave us with harm. Right? There are shepherds who wound their flocks. But so that we don't miss the opportunity to be led into life, starting in verse 7, Jesus makes his voice loud and clear. To the flock. And he invites us to come to him, to hear his true voice. Look at verses 7 through 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, again, the Pharisees are confused, the crowd is confused. What does Jesus mean? So Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. They're false voices, Jesus says. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, they will go out, and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. And in doing so, Jesus gives us yet another one of these I am statements. And you'll know from the past few weeks that when when Jesus addresses us in this way, it's an invitation for us to identify with his person. Right? There, There are always statements both about who Jesus is, but also about the things we need to depend on, to draw from him. They're an invitation to receive something from Jesus. So here in verse 7, he says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And if we want to identify with Jesus as our gate, we have to to be able to visualize a a sheepfold from the time of Jesus. These were not typically, you know, wooden fences. They weren't wire fences like we might construct today. In fact, most of them were, were kind of primitive structures of piled stones. And they didn't typically have a gate or a door. There was nothing to close them off. Just an empty sort of space where the two walls meet. And so we might think, well, what kept the sheep safe? Right? Once they were in the sheepfold, what was it that would protect them? What would keep a predator from entering in and, and doing them harm? Well, the answer to that question is the shepherd. Right? They, would, they would stand in that doorway or they would lay their body across it as they slept. And they became a, a living gate. They became a, a physical, a human kind of doorway to the sheepfold. And so the role of the shepherd was to place himself right, in between the sheep that he loved and, and anything that would seek to mislead them, to do them harm, to send them astray. And as verses 9 and 10 indicate, Jesus offers to be that kind of gate for us. He offers to be our living kind of gateway to life. John's Gospel says he's a living gate who invites us to come in, to go out, and to find pasture through him. And I I love that image because it's not a static one. If you were a shepherd, you wouldn't typically just build one of these sheepfolds. There would be these sort of structures scattered throughout the pasture land, throughout the countryside. And so what mattered wasn't just the sheepfold. What mattered was the shepherd going with you, right? Taking you from pasture to pasture, from place of rest to place of rest, right? And being that gate that would assure you you could come in, you could go out, you could find what you needed for life. Because the shepherd was nearby. Because of the gateway you possessed. Jesus says that he is that door through which we enter into salvation. 
He says, he is the doorway through which we enter into protection and into rest for our souls. Jesus says, he's a gate that seeks to lead us into the abundance of life, right? Life to the full. If you feel weary, if you feel discouraged or distracted by the clamor of all these other voices seeking to guide you or lead you somewhere, Jesus would invite you to come through his gate, to enter his sheepfold, and to be at rest in that place, to know the proximity of the shepherd who guards you, who loves you, who will lead you in and out to find pasture, who will recover the life God has created in you. So Jesus offers to be this gateway through whom we go in and out and find life, and in doing so, Jesus is connecting, as he so often does, his identity back to the promises Israel had been given before. If you go way back into Torah, into Numbers, chapter 27, you find this, this prayer of Moses at the end of his life. And it was as, again, Moses had been guiding the people, but he knew that he would not be around to guide them into the promised land. And so in, Mo in, Moses, in Numbers 27, he prays that God would appoint a new guide for Israel, one that would go out and come in before them, one that would guide the people so that they would not be like a sheep, like, like sheep without a shepherd. One of the things that I think is, is fascinating, too, is think about how God answered that prayer. God supplied to the people of Israel a man named Yeshua, Joshua, who would be that next guide, who would lead them into the promises of God. Well, here in, in John's gospel, we get a different Yeshua. We get a second Joshua. We get the one we call Jesus, who offers to be a gate to the life God has, to the promises God possesses for his people, and who offers to be that shepherd to the people who are scattered and lost. So we see Jesus extending this I am metaphor, starting in verse 11. Jesus says, not only is he the gate, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus offers to be the voice that guides us. Jesus offers to be the gateway into life itself. It surrounds us and protects us. And here he says that he offers to be the good shepherd who leads his sheep. But we might ask, well, what makes Jesus good? How do we know we can trust him? 
What sets Jesus apart from other voices, other shepherds, other leaders? Let me just briefly restate what Jesus says in these few verses. First, he says he, we, we can know, we can trust that he's a good shepherd because he's willing to lay down his life for us. Right? He cares for us. He sacrifices for us. And by contrast, he gives us the example of a hired hand, right? Someone who's just hired to do this job, someone who's just a religious entrepreneur, someone who's full of themselves, right? When push comes to shove, they protect themselves. They run away. They, they care nothing in their actions, in their investments for the flock. But Jesus says he cares for us because we belong to him. Right? We are his possession. And so our future, our identity are, are connected to his. And Jesus is willing to give away the life he possesses so that we might have his life in us. So we know that Jesus is the good shepherd because he, he sacrifices, he gives away life on our behalf. Second, it says that we know Jesus is the good shepherd because we're known by him. He knows us. Verse 3, it said he knows our names. He calls us right, one by one, and we respond to that voice. There's, there's power, right, in being named. There's power in being known by a familiar voice. This week I was, was in the store a couple days ago and I ran into a friend I hadn't seen in several months. And as I came around one aisle, they were coming around another and I, and I looked up and I saw them and I shouted out their voice. I said, hey! And they, they looked up and immediately their, their eyes lit up. I don't know what the rest of their face was doing because still hidden behind these masks. But as we talked, we talked for probably five minutes there in the store. Right? They said... Wow, it's just so good to talk to somebody. I haven't had a conversation like this in probably a month, they said, right, outside of the, the household they live in. Right, it's, it's good just to hear someone use our name, to be known, to, to have history with someone. Right, those things remind us of who we really are. And Jesus assures us he knows us deeply. He knows our name. He has history with us. We belong to him. And the text here says that Jesus can know us in that way. And we can be known by him because Jesus has actually experienced this same thing with the Father. Right? He's simply imitating or, or extending the kind of relationship he already enjoys there. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Theologian Brian Rosner puts it this way. He says, Jesus is close to God's heart, and so, therefore, we are close to his. Right? We're, we're drawn into the way the Father knows the Son. Now Jesus offers to know us to love us, to lead us. A few weeks back, we, we heard 
what the Father thinks of his Son. As Jesus entered the waters of baptism, what did the Father say? He tore the heavens apart and he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I take great delight. If the Father knows Jesus that way, Jesus says, I want to know my flock in the same way. Jesus wants to pronounce over us, You are my beloved sheep in whom I take great delight. Let me guide you. Let me lead you into the fullness of life. Let me steer you away from false voices, false identities. Let me show you the way to the Father. So as we wrap up our our time of worship this morning, we're going to, to have a chance just to pray here for a few moments. Karen's going to play for us. Jesus, like a shepherd, lead us. But I'd invite you to reflect on two particular things, right now and also in the week ahead. First of all, are there voices that are tempting you, or have been leading you, or have been distracting you, or or taking up your time and energy and attention that you need to stop listening to? Are there voices in your life that aren't leading you to life? If so, can you name them so that you can... can begin to to switch them off. And secondly, is there one place in your life right now where you desire Jesus to lead you more deeply into life? Where you know there's a deficit, where you know something's not the way it should be, where where you're feeling discouraged or, or depleted, lacking the fullness of the life he promised. And could you invite Jesus to lead you? to be your guide in that place. Let's take a few moments to to pray into those things now. Would you pray together with me? Lord, would you train our hearts to know the sound of your voice? Would you train our, our spirits to be responsive to the invitation each day, each hour to to come and listen to you, to listen to the things you would say. Train our hearts then to also be courageous in obedience when you invite us to follow you, that we wouldn't stop short, that we would trust where you're leading us. Lord, we lift up this flock to you. We're grateful that we belong to it and that that as a people we belong to you. Lord, we pray for those in in our flock that need your encouragement and your rest and your strength today. Lord, we pray for Carol Hassler. We thank you. for the successful surgery a few weeks back. Lord, we, we thank you that um, she was able uh, to find uh, the source of the fever that's been going on the past uh, week or so. She's being treated for pneumonia. And Lord, we pray for an ongoing recovery. We pray for a quick response to the antibiotic, antibiotics um, that they're treating her with. Lord, we, we just thank you for her. We look forward to having her return and and lead us in times of worship this spring. Lord, we pray uh, 
For Keith Dunbar and his family, Lord, we um, grieve with them the loss of his stepfather. Lord, we pray for your peace. We pray for the power of your presence in the midst of grief to hold them. Um, that they might come to you with that. Lord Jesus, we also rejoice with our church family and we rejoice in the birth of Silas Cordemanch this past week. We pray that he would be a great encouragement and blessing to his family and to this church family. Be with Jess and Christian as they spend time and just adjust to new rhythms of life with an infant in the household. Pray too for Andrea Greeley. Lord, pray for her ongoing recovery from surgery on her wrist. Lord, I pray that this day, a day of Sabbath, would be one where we rest in your sheepfold and enjoy the blessing of belonging to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.